Praise the Lord, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries, and we're so thankful that you've taken time to join this Truth Matters podcast, and we're right in the midst of a very important teaching and exposition on the Word of Faith theology and Word of Faith movement, so important that we equip ourselves and prepare ourselves and be able to recognize the difference between wheat and chef. And before we get into our teaching today, we're going to just pause and pray. Father, we thank you once again for your love. Give your name praise today, God, because we know that you are the Ancient of Days. We know that you are he who is outside of time. You are the creator of everything that we know. The Bible says that through you all things were created things present and things to come. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the lover of our souls. You are the captain of our ship. You are he who leads us, the shepherd, to find pasture. We give your name praise today, God, because you are our Father. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Shalom. You are Jehovah Nisi. You are the God that provides. You are the God that leads us. And we thank you today that you always stand by. You're faithful in all that you do. Your word is immutable. We can depend upon it. We thank you that you've established us upon a rock. And Lord God, our lives are hid in Christ and God. And today we give your name praise. Bless everyone who is listening to this podcast. Let them be equipped and prepared that they may be vigilant that they might find courage and strength and answers, and that they might be effective in evangelizing and reaching out to those who are lost and ensnared and deceived by word of faith theology. Let someone who today tunes in, let this be a transforming time of their lives. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we're going to continue in our exposition on word of faith theology But we're just mindful of the words that were spoken by Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson said this. He says that lies run sprints. But he said truth, it runs marathons. I'm so mindful of the words that Elvis Presley spoke. He said, truth is just like the sun. You can shut it down just for a little time, but it's not going to go away. It'll be shining bright. And one thing I know for sure that We as members of the body of Christ, we have to ensure that we test all things and that we never, ever shy or cower from telling the truth. Dr. Walter Martin, who has five doctorates in theology, says, as it relates to the word of faith, the whole range of biblical scholarship insists that the faith cure theory will not stand up in the Greek text. And this is the most important part. It has no basis to be taught. Why why does Dr. Walter Martin say that? It's chiefly because the Word of Faith teachers have suggested that healing is guaranteed in the atonement. So when Jesus died on the cross, that through his blood and through his sacrifice, we have a guarantee of healing. But unfortunately, there are two Greek words that must be considered. The first is anapharo. Please pay attention and write these down. Anapharo. It means to carry a burden as a cross. To suffer on the behalf of others. And the other word is a word that is bastazo. Bastazo is different than anapharo because it means that you have empathy with. You just identify with 
people in their plight. You do care for them greatly. Such as the Bible says in Hebrews, it says, For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but in all points he was tempted as we are and yet without sin. Now both Greek words are translated bore or bear. In Matthew 8, 16 and 17, the word bear is not anaphero, but it's pastazo. Listen carefully. It does not mean to be carried or that Jesus bore our sicknesses on the cross, but instead he had empathy for them. Now to understand what the Old Testament meant, you have to see it in light of the New Testament. Now Matthew was inspired to give us the true interpretation of Isaiah 53. Dr. Vincent, the Dean of Word Studies, says this, Matthew could have not chosen no other word more inappropriate than bastazo if he meant to teach that our sicknesses were a part of the atonement on Calvary. So what does it all mean? Should Christians expect to see their diseases healed? Yes, they should see and expect to see their diseases healed. We should pray for healing, but more than that, we should desire to see the will of God done. Although Word of Faith leaders defame Job, God in Job's life provided us with an entire book, the book of Job, that outlines the critical aspects of his will, Satan's desires and his constraints, the nuances of evil and human suffering. These are the core components in discerning the events of our daily lives. Within the book of Job, we see that sickness and calamity, disasters, are all within the sovereignty in the auspices of a loving and just God. See, the Bible records three periods of prolific miracles. I believe that it'd be very important if Bible teachers would teach us this. Word of, word of faith leaders, they don't really know that. But listen to this. The first period was the period of Moses. This is when prolific miracles took place and then they subsided. Then there was a second period, which was the period of the prophets. Who were they? Elijah and Elisha. Great, bold, fantastic miracles took place. And then they subsided. And the third and last period was the period of Christ and the apostles. God has specific purposes for miracles. They asked Jesus to perform a miracle during his trials and crucifixion. Did he do one? No. Why? He raised Lazarus for a specific reason, that men will believe. Jesus performed miracles to confirm that he was God in human form. The apostles performed prolific miracles to confirm that they were the true servants of God who were tasked with establishing his church and were inspired to write the New Testament. See, the Bible is replete with many examples of great men being sick. I want you to take note of them. Job was affirmed as a great man of faith, but he was covered from head to foot with boils. Paul confessed to be confessed to the Galatians that because of a bodily illness, he was preaching to them for the first time. You can find that in Galatians 4 and 13. Paul told Timothy to take no water, but a little wine for his stomach's sake in 1 Timothy 5 and 23. Paul, he left Trometheus sick in Miletus 
in 2 Timothy 4 and 20. And Aphroditus, he fell ill and he nearly died in Philippians 2, 25 through 30. So what does it all mean? Have faith teachers lied to us? And have they embellished and deceived us concerning whether healing was a part of the atonement? Paul, who was inspired to write most of the New Testament, he was plagued with he was plagued with the thorn in the flesh. Paul asked God to heal him three times. God said, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength is made perfect in weakness in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. What was Jesus really saying to Paul? Well, he said, essentially, no, I'm not going to heal you, Paul. Did Paul have lack of faith? Of course he didn't have lack of faith. Now, if the apostles who understood faith were inspired by God to write the scriptures and they were plagued with sickness, and certainly modern day faith teachers are totally incorrect. See, the word of faith looked down on prayer requests for the sick and the shut-in. Because in their estimation, anyone on that list is lacking in faith. And they're not really walking in the will of God. But the truth is, even faith teachers get sick and die, just like all other men. I think there's another verse that must be clarified. It's James 5, verse 14 through 15. It says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, to understand this verse, you have to see the specific historical setting of this text. In this instance, a certain man committed a certain sin that resulted in his sickness. God is chastening him in order to bring him back into fellowship. See, this promises to the person who has sickness that is a direct result of sin. Now, if that person repents, if they confess it before the elders, God said, I'm going to heal you. Now, this verse does not guarantee healing to all Christians for every sickness. To take the passage literally would mean that healing can only occur with the use of oil, right? Or only if an elder prays for you. If this was the only verse in Scripture concerning faith or healing, then we would have to concur here at Truth Matters that this is the methodology prescribed to the church. See, there are approximately 31,173 verses in the Bible. And to accurately understand what one is saying, you must enlist and learn from the testimony of the other 31,173. This is the hermeneutical principle called scriptural synergy and context. Now, 1 John 5 and 14 says, This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he listens and hears us. Everyone today in my listening audience, all faith is controlled and governed by this verse. Anointing with oil or calling on the name of the Lord will not bring healing unless it's the will of God. I want you to really chew on that for a moment. Now we're going to discuss the core of corruption in word of faith theology, and it falls into another misapplied aspect of what they believe is appropriated through the atonement, and it's the doctrine of guaranteed wealth. We at Truth Matters must declare that God neither condemns 
nor does he condone wealth. But in keeping with the theme of scripture, we are to embrace eternal perspectives versus focusing on earthly verities. We're reminding of the admonition of the Holy Spirit that gave that he gave to Paul when writing to young Timothy. What did he tell Timothy? He said, Timothy, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6 and 9. Despite Paul's warnings, we see those within the word of faith promoting wealth as being our divine right. Jesus said, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Jesus told us something very important in scripture. When he was talking about the rich man, he called him a fool. The Bible wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. This is 180 degrees out of phase from what the faith message advocates. Hank Hanegraaff concludes, It's a, a brand of Christianity that is little more than a baptized form of Christianese. And I think it's very important that you be very mindful of that. As Quentin Schultze, an author of televangelism in American culture, astutely noted, televangelists offer their own personalized expressions of the gospel as adopted from and directed to American culture. To put it more strongly, the faith of some evangelists is more American than Christian, more popular than historic, more personal than collective, and more experiential than biblical. And as a result, the faith they preach is highly affluent, selfish, and individualistic. These three aspects of evangelism's faith system, it simply reflects the American dream, whereby a self-motivated individual supposedly attains great affluence. They also reflect the impact of modernity on the church. See, the church is being transformed by the culture, and we're becoming absolutely microcosms of the culture. Preachers who committed, who are committed to presenting a Jesus who wears a Rolex watch will butcher any text to support their view. In his book, The Midas Touch, Kenneth Hagin Jr. has taken several verses out of context to support a guaranteed wealth myth that Jesus was a rich man. He claims that the gifts that Jesus received at birth were worth so much money that he lived in abundance and uh, affluence for 33 years. In his book, How I Learned Jesus Was Not Poor, Fred Price says, the Bible says that he left us an example that we should follow his steps. That's why I drive my Rolls Royce. I'm following Jesus' steps. When Jesus said in Luke 9 and 58, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, John Ambenzini, a word of faith leader, interprets that verse to mean in Samaria, Jesus was conducting a seminar and he didn't have a holiday inn which had any vacancies. He didn't have anywhere in Samaria to sleep because all the hotels were at full occupancy. Now, there is no Greek scholar who will support that view and interpretation of that verse. Secondly, Jesus would be bipolar to be a rich man and then turn right around and tell his disciples in John 6 and 27 to not labor for the material. 
if he was aggressively pursuing it himself. See, Word of Faith leaders, they're rich. They teach that Jesus was rich, and they even say that Jesus wore designer clothes in an attempt to justify their own extravagant living in attire. But listen to what Jesus said. He said he didn't wear good clothes. Those in the presence of earthly, worldly kings wore those kind of clothes. Read Luke 7, 24 and 25. The Word of Faith teaches us that all the disciples were rich. Well, let's take a snapshot of what the scriptures reveal about the financial status of the disciples. In Acts 3, we see where Peter and John were coming to the gate that was called Beautiful. There was a beggar there who was lame. He asked for money from the disciples. What did they say? Did they say, okay, all you have to do is take out a few pennies you have, sow them by faith into our ministry, and you're going to receive a hundredfold return. Did they say, here, take $200,000. We're all rich men. Go buy yourself a home, some clothes, a Lexus. No, but what did they say? They said, silver and gold have we none, which really equals we don't have any money. But what we do have is the gospel and the anointing that's able to bring deliverance to your body. In 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13, it tells us something about their social and financial status. Listen to what the real status of the apostles were. They say to this very hour, we are gone hungry. We're thirsty. We habitually have no change of underwear. We shiver in the cold. We're knocked about, wandering around, homeless. And we still toil into weariness just to make our living working with our own hands just so that we can get a meal. We're rubbish. We're filth. And we're socially the scum of the earth. We look at Paul and the disciples. We don't see $2,000 designer suits or Rolex watches. Clarence McClendon, a very popular Word of Faith teacher. We see persecuted men living in lack, fulfilling their commission to preach the gospel throughout the world. Paul was a tent maker. He would work at his craft to free people of giving to him. Paul needs to have his head examined to spend his days working making tents if he was wealthy. Just imagine if Bill Gates was unloading trucks for $300 a week. You say, are you crazy, Bill? Why are you unloading trucks and you have billions of dollars? We would have to also call Paul a hypocrite to tell Timothy's riches were a trap and a snare and causes destruction if he himself was living a life of luxury. Many teach that it's God's highest will that we be financially prospered. They allude to 3 John 2 as a reference text for that teaching. And it says, I would above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I know that I was taught that this verse confirmed that God's support of our being healthy and wealthy. However, this passage is nothing more than a, a salutation. It's how you would open a letter that you might be writing someone. I know we don't write letters anymore, but it's just an opening. You might open a letter like this. I hope this letter finds you in good spirits and in health. John was simply writing to Gaius. Hi, Gaius. I hope this letter finds you prosperous and in good health. 
far from being a doctrine that it's God's highest will for the church to be healthy and wealthy, it's just a simple salutation, nothing more and nothing less. But Word of Faith leaders are posing as certified Bible teachers, but they understand little of the Bible's doctrines. Nowhere do we see more abuse than in the area of finances. Word of Faith leaders run like secretariat past verses such as Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Listen to what it says. The master told us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Matthew 13 and 22 says, riches are deceitful and they choke the word. In Luke 16, it gives us the graphic account of the rich man. And Lazarus, the rich man, died and went straight to hell. And the poor Lazarus, he obtained eternal life with God in paradise. Isn't it sad when you think about it? We admire the rich and the famous, but nobody wants to be Lazarus. Word of Faith leaders utilize verses out of context and they hoodwink their followers. Let's just look at a few. Let's, let's just... Look at Deuteronomy 18 and 8. It says, it is God who gives you power to get well. The Greek equivalent for the word wealth is euporia, meaning well provided for. The context of the stated text is that provisions that Israel enjoyed came from God, not their own abilities. Wealth is a very subjective term if you think about it. It could be defined differently by each person. To some, $100,000 is wealth, but to Bill Gates, only having $100,000 means he needs to jump out of a window, right? And I'm not advocating that, but he would feel like he was a, lo- a loser. Wealth is used synonymously with material provisions in many instances. The fact is, most mega rich men in the world, they gained it through industry, contrary to God's will. Think about Philip Morris. He didn't get rich through God's power. Neither did Larry Flint. Michael Jackson or Warren Buffett, Michael Bloomberg, Ted Turner didn't get rich through God's will. Donald Trump definitely didn't. Mark, neither did Mark Zuckerberg, William Coors, Rockefeller, the Kennedy family, Michael Dell, and countless others. To teach that God empowers all to acquire wealth is extremely erroneous. To teach that God may grant certain persons wealth for his purpose is indeed biblical. But in spite of that fact, we hear word of faith leaders snorting, it is God who empowers us to get wealth. The inference is, if we want wealth, it's ours because it's God's will. Imagine if you gave an allowance to your child and the child went around bragging about the money that they had and acted like they had worked a job for it. Instead of being grateful to you, they came and they waved the money in your face. You said, hold it, buddy. And you pull the child aside and say, did you forget that it was I who gave you the money? This is all the verses say. But word of faith twists its context to fit the idea that it's God's will and our right to be wealthy. The truth really matters today. Many have heard of Martin Luther King Jr. He was a great civil rights leader, right? Back in the 50s and 60s, he, King was named after Martin Luther, who was a German monk. And I'm, I know many of you have heard of Martin Luther, who was a leader of the Great Reformation in the 1500s. 
The world was reeling from the dark ages. It was totally engulfed in spiritual darkness, and Roman Catholicism was dominating spirituality all across Europe. There was a, a monk, his name was Johann Tetzel. He was commissioned by Rome to con and scam the common people all over Europe by selling indulgences. How did he how did he tell the people? This is what he would say it. He would say, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. This entailed the people giving money to get their loved ones out of purgatory. And we know that purgatory is uh, an erroneous teaching and it does not exist. But it was a tradition and a myth that was uh, concocted and presented through Catholicism. If religious leaders introduce an ideology that giving money would produce God's favor, and accomplish spiritual blessings, then we have a doctrine that says you can buy God. This is exactly what occurred in Acts 8, 1 through 24. Simon was a sorcerer. He made so much money using his skill in magic and duping people into thinking it was God's work. When he saw the real power of God, he used the same old carnal methods of thinking he could purchase it with money. And Simon was rebuked by the apostles for his wicked desires. Luther stood like Philip and the apostles and resisted the idea that you could buy spiritual things. This led to his infamous 95 Thesis, where he tapped it and, and, and nailed it to the, the uh, diocese there in Worms, Germany, where he challenged the audacity of Rome selling blessings from God. Money manipulation is what caused Luther to start the Reformation. We at Truth Matters Ministries are standing just like Luther and saying, we also resist the greed, the manipulation that occurs through money manipulation. Luther was swiftly and severely punished, and Rome labeled Luther a heretic. And we at Truth Matters Ministries, we expect similar views. And you'll hear catchy phrases from many money manipulators such as have a need, plant a seed. Oral Roberts told his notable colossal lie that God was going to kill him if he didn't raise $8 million back in 1987. He and his son, Richard Robert, used the lowest form of persuasion to get money from parishioners. They sent out letters that said, giving will help you avoid terrible new diseases. Richard Roberts also wrote that people would receive a hundredfold return on the money that they sent the ministry. He said that if people didn't give, this is so sad to hear, they would be hit by the devil and bad things will happen and people will wish that 1985 would never come. He even went to the gutter level and he warned that people will die if they didn't send money. There are so many today that are being deceived by scam artists and flim flammers and money manipulators. But it's so important today that we in this Truth Matters ministry that we alarm and awake the church to this very present danger. So our admonition to you today is to make sure that you share the word, that you study to show yourself approved, that you help evangelize the world, commune with your God, fellowship with your God, pray, meditate on him both day and night. Because so many things in this world don't matter. But one thing we know for sure is the truth. It always matters. God bless you and you pray for us.